Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Jia Zhangke has gradually moved to the forefront of Chinese cinema, and his films constitute a constant reckoning with his country's transformations. His latest, the epic gangster drama Ash is Purest White, is no exception. The film was a main slate selection at the 56th New York Film Festival, and ahead of its official release in March, we'll be presenting a sneak preview screening with the director in person on February 14th. Head to filmlink.org for tickets. During NYFF, Ja took part in one of our HBO director's dialogues to talk about Ash's purest white and his career in general. Let's go to that now. Thank you. And we have uh, Vincent Cheng who will help us with translation. So um, I think because of your very busy schedule, we usually do these talks after the screening, but we had to do yours before. Um, so has anybody in the audience actually seen Ashes Pure as White? Yeah, a few people have. Not many. So we won't, uh, no spoilers. We won't uh, say too much about the film. Um, but we, I would just start by maybe, you know, ask, talking a little bit about this film, um, preparing people who will see it tomorrow. This is your 12th feature film, I think. I hope I counted correctly. It could be. I didn't really count and close track of it. And we've shown, I think, almost all of your films uh, here at the New York Film Festival. Um, this is a film that, um, like your previous film, Mountains May Depart, and like one of your early films, Platform, is a film that spans a long period of time. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, this is one way to kind of divide your films. There's the films that I think are very immediate, very much about the present and what is happening in China today, and films that are looking back, in the case of Mountains Made Apart, also forward, but taking like a larger time span into consideration. Um, and I'm wondering if you approach the films differently when you're looking into the past. Mm. 他说，几乎所有您的片子都在这里啊，有放映过。那想了解一下，So thank you, uh, in terms of the New York Film Festival to invite me to come back again after three years. The last time I was here was three years ago, and uh, it's hard to get uh, get comfortable here just because uh, for the past ten days I have been trying to deal with the major release in China. And right now it's uh, showing in theaters around the country in China, so it's been almost like. Uh, uh, war time for me for the past 10 days. Uh, uh, so uh, when I made Platform, uh, I was 29, and the film is actually trying to capture what happened from 1979 to 1989. So I think that the reason why I did it at that time with this particular film is because uh, if you're looking back on the 1980s, it is an, an era of restless youth, uh, first time experiencing this new uh, reformed society with access to modernity, with outside, uh, uh, outside thinking and outside resources, and they just want to be free and be modern. So I do think that that's particularly a very interesting era 
um, in the Chinese history, and that is the reason why I really have the desire to capture that 10 years of transformation as a society and also the people uh, living in that particular environment. And I think after that film, uh, most of the films that I have afterward, uh, they are mostly uh, focusing on the here and now and what's happening, uh, the state of nation, so to speak, uh, films. So I think that's a, a very big difference in terms of the uh, in terms of platform and the rest of the film afterwards. So um, mountains may depart, and that was. 2015, and I was 44. No longer someone who was in his 20s, and when I was in my 40s, so uh, because I have experienced a lot during these years and have seen the ups and downs and experienced the ups and downs, and also have observed around me the inevitables in terms of uh, many uh, junctures of uh, someone's life or anyone's life, birth, aging, illness, death. So I think that it's almost as if that all of us, we have this template, this script that we act uh, in our own lifetime and we all share the same script somehow. And that's the reason why I really want to somehow use this particular film to capture those inedible, uh, inevitable stages of our lives. And because of my age, at the age of 44, I get to uh, capture the essence even greater because of my age. So this long span of temporal elements is continues to be something that I'm very interested in, uh, not only because I'm getting older as well, and for the film Ashes Pure as White, I definitely want to use this device of time to really uh, look and observe, look into and observe how time can shape, mold, and change an individual. And uh, the uh, the time as an element uh, to use that to look at how time change people, change a lot of problems that we are facing and also a lot of affairs that we're dealing with uh, right now. So I do think that that is the only uh, element in terms of vehicle or device that they can actually somehow uh, examine all these issues uh, and most effectively. So uh, since the first film that I made in 1998, The Pickpocket, I have been trying to mostly capture the dramatic transformations of the society in China and its impact on how people uh, feel and how people live in that particular situation. And a lot of focus is on the new feelings, the new conditions that you can observe because of this uh, dramatic transformation. And the feelings could be because of the tr transformation, individuals start to feel isolated, feel loneliness, feel alienated from their society and all this yearning and desire for freedom. So that was, or that, those were the, the foci of my films in the past. But for this particular one, Ashes Pure as White, I try to look at almost like the other side of the coin. If you can see a person with two sides, one is the modern size or the, the size that uh, the side that you want to uh, strive for modernization, strive for events and changes. The other side of the coin is very much about your tradition, about what you have been taught or been conditioned uh, from a long 
lines of histories and uh, long lines of uh, ancestors and family members. So those are the two sides that uh, in, in the past I tend to examine one side, which is the modernity side, the new feelings. Whereas this one for Ashes Pure is White, I want to look at the other side of the coin and really think about what's so deep rooted in the Chinese society and because of the long span of the time, how they, how these feelings or these codes of honors or codes of conducts have evolved through this long span of time, including this concept of Jianghu, this concept of uh, the interpersonal relationships that, that would, how to maintain that type of relationship with either your loved ones, your family members, your lovers, and your brothers uh, in the brotherhood. So those are the issues that I want to focus more with this particular film. I think we should point out the, the English title of the film is Ashes Pure as White. It's not a direct translation. The Chinese title actually is Sons and Daughters of, of Jianghu, which mm -hmm. you just mentioned, the, this, um, this con concept that's important. So so the first time I actually came across this particular phrase, Jianghu Ernie, which means the daughters and uh, the children of Jianghu, is when I was shooting my documentary, I Wish I Knew, in, 20, uh, in 2009. And I went to Hong Kong to interview one of my interviewees, uh, who is Wei Wei, and she... Uh, was the lead actress in famous film Springtime in a Small Town. And she told me that famous the last film, the unfinished film that he was working on before he passed, was this film called Jianghu Ernu. And when I heard of this particular phrase, it just touched me and moved me a lot. So Jianghu as a, as a phrase, actually, it's really hard to translate into English or other languages, but for Chinese people, they know exactly what it means when they hear this particular phrase. And as a male person, especially, it really means a lot to me. I remember that uh, a lot of literatures, a lot of films that I read or I watched in the past, it has this particular Jianghu motif. And myself, when I was young, seven or eight years old, I also lived the street life, so to speak, that uh, because of my uh, living situation at the time, uh, I tend to associate myself with people who are so in the so-called underworld uh, environment, and they really uh, impress me a lot, just the way that they conduct themselves and the way, the way they relate to one another. What could you do at the age of eight or nine or seven or eight uh, in this particular underworld <laughs> environment? Well, guess what? Uh, you could be the, uh, the help to bring bricks, to bring stones when they are involved in any type of street brawls. Uh, so, and of course, uh, I grew up in the era, you know, in 1980s, and then uh, that's one of the my favorite genres of films, you know, triad films and uh, Jiang Fu, uh, with the Jiang Fu motif. And I will spend a lot of time in the video arcade and watching those films. And I, I also, after I went to, the, uh, to, to study films, I also realized that how this is such an important motif for Chinese literatures and Chinese, Chinese cinema. So the films such as King Hu's Wuxia uh, genre, Zhang Cho's, uh, films or all the way to 70s and 80s, you have films such as uh, 
John Woo's, uh, John Woo's uh, triad films from Hong Kong and from uh, Taiwan. So I do think that these are films capture the essence of how people survive and how people behave in the eras of great transformation, great unrest. And also it is, uh, and these films captures also the, uh, the society written with crisis, with a lot of wars, and also it captured the essence of uh, how complex the human relationships and interpersonal relationship within that particular uh, particular Jianghu context. All of these films, so-called the, uh, the Jianghu genre, um, very much is using their perspective uh, on the periphery to look at the mainstream culture and the. Ernu, these two words, of course, is the children living in this particular jungle context, and these are the people who uh, dare to love and have faith in royalty and have a lot of uh, human emotions that is very visceral and very raw. Uh, so when I was very young at the time that if you uh, experienced that, let's say your friend was bullied and what you can do is to actually get around a group of friends or brothers that uh, then we will somehow get back to the, uh, the perpetrator of this particular bullying uh, incident. And we don't even have to be related to each other or by blood or... Um, just because we are friends or we are from that particular uh, neighborhood, we will actually do this for someone in, in the in-group. Whereas now, well not whereas, actually now you can also see that happening when I went back to uh, my hometown. I was told that if someone is having problem with another person, this person actually can pick up the phone and call a company to run up all the brothers or all the, uh, the muscles to actually uh, rough people up. And then sometimes they will realize that both the victims and the perpetrator of that particular uh, conflict, they will hire the same company. And then uh, the people came in will actually just pretty much shuffle and push each other around and they will call it a day and go home. So, so the first example is really about that kind of dare to love, dare, dare to hate, and uh, believe in loyalty. Whereas the second one, I don't think is similar. It's completely different. So that, in a nutshell, is what Ash is pure as white, or Jianghu Ernie is trying to capture in terms of how this Jianghu concept, this kind of code of honor, codes of um, behaviors or codes of conduct have evolved through time from the past till now. So uh, when I watched the films, uh, the, those Shang, uh, the Hong Kong triad films, I, I one phrase or the catchphrase that they always use really impressed me and a lot and I remember the most is that we need to industrialize or commercialize this idea of underworld or the, the, the dark society or black society. So um, I, I also use this phrase for my film in this particular, uh, uh, in Ashes Purest Why? Just because I think that it's very, very fitting. 
So that's the reason why I really like this particular name, Jianghu Ernu, because it really gave a sense of this ancient, traditional, classical sense to it. And uh, when I mentioned that I wanted to this, use this particular title as my film title, a lot of people around me, including those uh, involved in marketing and the, the investors, they tend to think that this is not a good idea just because it really reminds uh, or uh, somehow people have that association that they equate this phrase with the period piece wuxia genre films. And in China right now, that is not the popular genre or the very uh, market-driven genre that to, be go, uh, to go after. So, um, but I still like this particular title. Uh,对,然后我们同事说,那你用吧,中文名字,那你能不能改改你的英文名字?因为我的英文名字叫Money uh, and Love. <laughs> <laughs> so they sort of, we reached this compromise. It's that, okay, if you really insist on using this particular title for Chinese title, why don't we find something else for the English title rather than just Jiang, the children of Jianghu? And then I say, sure, how about money and love? And then they heard that this particular title, they thought that it is too common and too not sophisticated enough. Actually, personally, I actually don't mind being not sophisticated because that is just the right tone, I think, for the film. But uh, when I was writing the script, uh, till the point that uh, this particular plot line that they, uh, the two characters, the male lead and the female lead, they went to uh, this particular space to, to practice shooting a gun. And... Um, the female character told the male character, because this is right in front of the, the backdrop, is a volcano uh, where they actually uh, <coughs> practice shooting the gun. And the female character said that ash, especially volcano ash or volcanic ash, is the purest substance because of the temperature the substance uh, is incinerated at. So I thought that this would be a great title for English uh, for the film. So that, that's the reason why I used uh, use "Ash is Pure as White" as the t English title for the film. Uh, so uh, it's a very common phrase in China right now. It's called "Pao Hui." The literal translation would be the ash of some kind of cannon. Uh, uh, weapon. So basically, it's talking about ash, and it's talk about how insignificant we are. As you, uh, using this phrase, "pao hui," means that how insignificant you are. But if you really think about it, you know we are that insignificant because we ended up will be just like ash being scattered around and just uh, you know in the whole uh, universe that we are that insignificant. So um, the other thing about this film and the time frame is that it starts in 2001 and goes until more or less the present day. So it kind of overlaps with most of your filmmaking um, career. And I think what this film does is, besides looking at Chinese society in this period, it also allows you to look back at your own work. 
Um, the beginning of the film is maybe a bit reminiscent of the setting of Unknown Pleasures. And then the middle of the film, you sort of revisit the setting of still life um, from, from more than 10 years ago. So I'm just curious about, you know, this, this, um, this revisiting your own work and whether that was like, uh, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Was, did you take a certain kind of pleasure in going back and like recreating the world from your own films, you know, from several years ago? Now, so uh, as you mentioned, the film has started in 2001 until present time. And when I was writing a script three years ago in 2015, and uh, I intentionally uh, wants to, want this film to start in 2001. The reason for it is because it is, it's a very important juncture um, or turning point in Chinese history. Not only it represents the, the first 17 years of the new millennium, but also you represent in the Chinese context, the pre and post internet age, the economy from stagnation to dramatic growth. And also that those 17 years uh, are the years, or were the years that actually I'm very familiar with, I grew up and I experienced uh, it firsthand. So that was in terms of 2001, that is a very important temporal elements that I want to start with that. In terms of the spatial elements, I, you know, of course you can really put the stories anywhere in China, but to me, uh, the reason why I want to revisit uh, Datong in Shanxi province and the Three Gorges um, in Sichuan, Chongqing. And the reason for it is because I really see these uh, these locations as the stages that I put actors and actress, uh, actresses in. And for me, it almost as if that the stage is the same, but the people who are acting on the stage, they're constantly changing. For example, uh, in pickpocket, you have a thief, a pickpocket, and for platform, you have the, the touring troops, and then for still life, you have minors, and you have nurses, uh, a minor and a nurse on stage, and then for uh, a touch of sin, you have a group of people who are really trying to rebel against the society and take on a very, very dangerous route. So I do think that uh, the reason why I want to revisit, revisit these locales or locations is because I see them as the constant stage that you see how life play out in China. Uh, in terms of looking at the beginning point of the film, 2001, I was collaborating with my art director and we want to make sure that it really conveyed a sense of time and what's going on in 2001. And we had this discussion about whether or not, uh, based on our memory, girls at the time, did they dye their hair? And we had this ongoing uh, discussions about and debates about whether or not they did dye their hair at the time or they didn't dye their hair. Sometimes I think that they did and sometimes he thinks that they did. So it's sort of back and forth and I realized that the only way that I can actually settle this particular debate is to look into the, uh, the footage that I shot actually using my first DV camera in 2001. I actually, as a habit, I will just take that camera and then just randomly shoot 
um, randomly shot different peoples in different spaces, public spaces, and I uh, did that from 2001 all the way to 2010. So I went back to those uh, the documentary footage and trying to look into what's going on at the time in 2001. And this is something I, I didn't think that I'm going to do in my 40s because I thought that I can always do it, um, you know, with all these materials. I can just cut and edit them and then make them into a film later on when I'm, I cannot and have no energy to actually shoot films, maybe when, I was, when I'm in my 70s or 80s. But because of this particular discussion we had, I went into a lot of materials and a lot of footage and also a lot of edit out scenes from my previous films. And just so happened that the two things that I saw that really um, moved me and touched me a lot were the, uh, the, the images from Unknown Pleasure, Pleasure and also the images from Still Life. And I thought that because a lot of people in the past, when they watched Unknown Pleasure, they always asked me why is that the, the two younger characters between Chow Chow and Bingo, so these are the two main characters, the young characters in uh, Unknown Pleasure, and at the time they were 19, and I didn't actually elaborate on, uh, in terms of this particular plot line, I didn't really develop it. And I joke about it and I say that because I intentionally try to leave it blank, almost like the Chinese landscape painting that you have that blank space everywhere. But people then will say that, well, it's not leaving it blank, it's just completely nothing there. So I thought that it might be a good idea to actually use that the, uh, to, to fill the gap or somehow to <clears throat> fill in the void by creating characters uh, based on these two uh, characters from uh, the developed characters for Ashes Purest White, based on these two characters that are not being explored a lot within the film Unknown Pleasure. And I even, because the original script, the names for these two characters in Ashes Purest White, and they weren't even Chow Chow and Binga, but after my research and after I found the connections, I changed their names to Chow Chow and Binga as well. So when I look back on all the materials that I have uh, shot uh, in the past, I realized that how many different mediums or different tools and uh, technology that I have used going from the very beginning the DV, mini DV, to HD DV, to 16 millimeters, to 35 millimeters, to 5D, to Alyssa. So the list goes on. So I, I, I suddenly realized that how the, in terms of the equipments and the cameras I've been using also have gone through certain evolution. So when I was discussing this idea of how equipments and technology evolves in these 17 years, uh, the, this is the cinematographer that I worked for the first time and I worked with uh, for the first time and collaborate uh, for the first time, Eric Gautier. And um, we, he really likes the idea of uh, using different cameras or different equipments or different mediums to represent different times and within these six, uh, 17 years time span. And he asked me whether or not I like the, in terms of the gradation to be very sharp or to be very, very gradual. 
And uh, I told him that I like it to be very, very gradual, just because it's like the same way that we live our life, that you uh, don't really notice those changes. And it's almost like fish in the water, uh, that you don't really notice uh, the, the changes, even though it's very, very dramatic, you don't really take notice of them. So that's the reason why I, I chose to use this particular gradual approach in terms of images, in terms of visual components, and using different, uh, six different cameras. So one particular scene is that we actually have about 300 extras with 200 staffs, and then we have all the staff with this mini DV camera with them shooting this particular scene. And these extras actually got very upset because they thought that they'd been cheated or been lied to because what kind of director would use this type of mini DV camera uh, to shoot a film? So if you have the chance to see the film tomorrow, one particular scene you will see that uh, right before or right when they, uh, the two characters, uh, their, the breakup scenes, uh, one particular uh, in terms of sequence is that you will see this particular singer on stage singing how much love can be repeated. And um, so this particular singer singing this song uh, when I was shooting 12 years ago. Those are the images I got 12 years ago. But we then somehow uh, just pose and fuse the image that we shot last year of Zhao Tao in the audience. And we combine them and make that into that particular sequence that you will see tomorrow, hopefully. Um, I think one, for me, one striking thing about the trajectory of your work is that um, how you have moved from, I think for the first, maybe first half of your career, we, we think of you primarily as a, as a realist filmmaker, as somebody who is, you know, really representing contemporary society, the here and now, um, in a more or less realistic way. Um, and I think in your last maybe three films, um, it's been really interesting to see you work with, with genre. Um, to really engage, you know, tra different traditions um, of of cinema, um, from like crime movies, you know, as you mentioned, to gangster films, to melodrama, and I feel like um, the, this film for me really works as a as a melodrama. You talk about old, you know, old Chinese cinema, maybe like Chinese cinema of the 30s, like Fei Mu, um, and I'm curious about this this shift away from realism for you, because this to me is like your your funniest film. Um, and also your saddest film in some ways. And I think a lot of it has to do with how it, the writing and also with Zhao Tao's performance, which I think is extraordinary. So in terms of the genre films, I do think that a starting in a touch, starting with the film, A Touch of Sin, I start to realize that actually by uh, relating to or by making a connection with the the genre films, I somehow am, I am continuing certain traditions that I can actually um, make myself as one of the many elements of this particular long history of genre films. And I don't know why this kind of going back to history and trying to connect with history, including the film history within the genre, uh, films. Uh, it's something that is so important to me at this point, but I do think that this is uh, something uh, that I want to do to somehow 
connect with that particular genre history, but at the same time trying to find something new, a, a different way to uh, tell a story. And that's the reason why I, I use uh, the genre films as the, the raw materials uh, as a template to really develop new stories. For example, for Touch of Sin, it's actually based on true story, true events, true individuals uh, happens in uh, in China and the, the violence act that they actually um, act out in that particular historical context. And these people actually reminds me remind me a lot of a lot of literatures and film. Uh, the genre films that I watched in the past, literature-wise, could be the tale of the water margin. And for King Hu's film, the Hu shot genre films, I do think that uh, these people embody that type of uh, wuxia, jianghu uh, element. And I think that it's very interesting to actually tell a story that happens here and now in China by connecting these people and the stories with this long line of histories of the genre film, the wuxia genre, or the, um, yes, the uh, literary genre of uh, wuxia as a way to make that historical con connections from the past all the way to present. So the characters uh, I developed within Ashes Pure White, you can, even though that is here and now in China or the, for the past 17 years, but you can see that these people reflect and somehow can, can be connected to uh, the characters in the 30s and 40s, the people in Shanghai or in the 70s, 80s, people in Hong Kong and the films that are representing them. So I do think that that's the reason why I want to somehow use the, the, the triad film triad films genre or the Jianghu or Wuxia genre as a way to somehow echo and to connect with those uh, genre films. Uh, so uh, by making these connections, personally, uh, after making these connections, I realized that we're not, we are not changing that much as human beings from the past till now. So the reason why is because I do think that if from the perspective of the UFO or extraterrestrial, then when they look at human beings as, as, a, as, a, as a civilization, they might really see us just like the ash or the dust I was talking about is so insignificant. And if we are so insignificant, why are we fighting each other so much you know, for power, for fame, for money? And it's so, um, to me, it's something to think about. Um, we have to wrap up in like five minutes, which I think means we can take one audience question. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Okay, I'll translate my question. Uh, okay, uh, so I'm asking the director, uh, what's his process of writing? Uh, when does he initially have inspiration for a film? And uh, when, uh, how does he do his research and all this stuff? Thank you, Thank you. 
So in general, especially the the recent films, to me, the, it's very very character driven, which means that I always started with the characters that I want to have in these films, and then develop those characters. For Ashes Pure White, I have these characters that I want to develop as the, the children of Jiang Hu, and based on these two main characters, then I branch out to all the the other uh, plot lines. So people always think about, well, in terms of the script, you want to really know the characters, the, the stories, their life situations, their environments, and how they actually perceive and react to their living situations. But to me, the most important part and the starting point for everything for me personally is always the characters. Uh, so after I have my first draft, then uh, pretty much I know exactly the special, the spatial and the locales, or the spatial components and the locales will be pretty much set. And then based on that, I will then scout the locations for, for the film. And in the morning, and I will go scout uh, go scouting the, uh, go, I will scout the location in the morning, and then at night I will then revise and modify the script. And this particular film, I travel quite a bit all the way from Shanxi province to uh, the uh, Fengjie, which is uh, Shanxi Daotong, to Three Gorges, uh, the Fengjie, to all the way to Xinjiang, which means that I actually did it twice uh, for the whole scouting uh, process. And each time will be about 7,700 7, kilometers uh, for each round. So I travel a lot for this particular film and based on my research and then I will further develop my script accordingly. By the way, when I went scouting for these locations, I actually took the transportations, the different means of transportations, just like the same way as uh, just like the characters in the film. Then I have to add on a lot of details to the, the script to make it even more uh, interesting. So um, a lot of people think that, oh, maybe because you have very, very good observation techniques, that you have very good memories, that's why you really capture the details that are necessary to really make everything come alive. But actually, I have to say that the details, actually, uh, they are all from my imagination. So how, where do you uh, find this type of imagination? Well, it really takes love. Uh, if you love the characters that you are building and developing, then you will imagine all the details that come with these characters. Great. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, I want to thank you so much for being here. I hope you all have the chance to see the film, and you can ask more questions after you've had a chance to see it tomorrow, um, I hope. Thank you all. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a non-profit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>